And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today, Pastor Sexton is speaking on your place in America's survival. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. Thank you for joining with me today. Uh, This is going to be a very exciting day, a very interesting day. And I'm, I'm just so happy that you're a part of this. I'm going to show you some things and we're going to talk about some things, but I want to give a framework for all of this. And uh, let's pray together, may we? And ask God to guide us by His Holy Spirit. Our Father, we thank Thee for this day, for the opportunity we have, for this privilege, for extending our lives to this moment. Help us to make the most of it. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It has been my longtime conviction that the work of God is at the heart of everything else that's going on, not just in our lives, our families, our churches, but in our nation. Now, of course, we cannot expect the unbeliever or the casual Christian to understand that. We cannot. When Jesus Christ established the church, He said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there are things we glean from the Word of God about the local church, the pastor, the shepherd, what the shepherd's to do. And uh, I've listed those things. I'm writing a piece with 31 different uh, devotional topics for 31 different days that came from the Word of God about being a shepherd. But we know that Christ Christ started the local assembly. I believe it started with, with the Lord Jesus and His disciples and was empowered at Pentecost. Now, when I was in seminary, I had to write a paper about when the church started. I thought that was a laborious exercise, but now I understand there's so much so much that uh, people think or believe that is, uh, that is confusing. But I came to the conclusion early on that the local church started with Christ and His disciples and was empowered at Pentecost. Now, we have adhered, there's been a believing group adhering to Scripture all through the centuries. Uh, contrary to what you may have been taught or believed that Uh, they've all been Baptist people or called Baptist people. I I don't believe that. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. But I'm saying to you that there have been holy adherence to doctrinal truth all through the centuries. I think in every century you could find a group of people who said, we believe this. And there is an irreducible body of truth I mean by that, that you can't take anything out of it. You can't subtract anything else from it and still call it biblical Christianity. There's an irreducible body of truth that Christian people believe. Such things as the virgin birth, uh, the inerrant scripture, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, His coming again. 
there are things, and that's not all of them, but there are things that are part of that irreducible body of truth. And we have found through the centuries there are people who adhere to that and hold to it. Mr. Spurgeon took for his college motto, and uh, he had a great one, that it was about being held and holding. In other words, God held us and we held to the truth and held to Him. Now, if there is no such thing, if there is no such thing, I, th I think we're all just need to be twiddling our thumbs and wonder what in the world's going on if there is no such thing. But there is such a thing. I believe everywhere you go, anywhere in the world, you're going to find people who know the Lord and hold to the Bible as the final authority for their faith and practice and believe. Now, here we are in this time, and it's been called everything, the time of the great unraveling, the time of compounded confusion. Um, whatever it is, it is a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal moment. I mean by that, I mean by that, that you can go one way or the other. That things are not going to say, stay the same. And so here we have, here we have a situation. Uh, I've quoted Victor David Davis Hanson, and um, I've listened to a lot of his things. I recommend you listen to them. I can't vouch for his faith. He does honor the idea of the Christian faith. But he says, and I quote, this election is no longer about Trump's tweets or about Biden's senility. It's not about progressivism versus conservatism. It is about civilization versus anarchy. Civilization versus anarchy. And I want to say something to you. Um, we have a message the Word of God says that people have questions. We need answers. We can't answer everything, but we have answers, and they ought to be biblically-based answers. I want to repeat to you something I'll say often when I'm in a conversation is that our philosophy, what we think about life as believers, should grow out of our theology. In other words, what we believe about God, what we believe to be true in the Bible, should serve as the foundation for how we think and how we speak. And so many people want to talk about philosophy and some philosophical opinion about something, but they, they don't have the right foundation. It all begins with God. And by the way, it'll all end with God, won't it? He's the Alpha and Omega. When Peter wrote in very perilous times in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope, of the hope, in you with meekness and fear. My glasses are right over there. If you could have them for me, I'd appreciate it. 
and for the hope that is in you. We are to be hopeful people. I imagine if you put one, if you put one thing, just one thing on the table and say, what should be coming out of our lives? What should be exuding from us? It be it would be hope. I believe it's very important, especially at this time, when I preach and I I, I try to cover all the ground. I mean by that, I don't skip around and play patsy with the Bible. I, if God deals with it, we ought to deal with it. I was just in a conference about marriage and I started on a Wednesday night and one of the leaders in the church came to me after the Wednesday evening, not in this church, but another church. And he said, I've never heard someone speak so plainly, so clearly about something. Now, this is just his opinion. He has a wonderful pastor. I greatly admire his pastor. But I dealt with marriage between men and women. I dealt with the era of the transgender movement. And I, I dealt with the idea that um, the transgender movement is the, is the issue of our day and all the preliminary things that had to be done with transgenderism to lay the groundwork for what we're dealing with now. Do you have an answer for that? Right now, do you have an answer for it? Can you speak the truth in love? Can you? Uh, Vance, uh, uh, Joe Biden said the other day to, an eight, to a mother of an eight-year-old child, you could be a transgendered mother, a mother of a transgendered child. That child can know by the time he or she is eight years old, their gender. Do you have an answer for that? I don't, I don't say you have an answer or I have an answer. I hope I have an answer, but... I'm saying people have questions. They need answers. And the shepherd of the pillar and ground of the truth need to give the answer. And God says we should sanctify in our heart. I think that involves having prepared our heart to respond. The response of the heart. Um, when we talk about the mores of a society, that's a word that's not used much now. But uh, Tocqueville, when he came and s summarized America, he said it's full of people who have uh, heart feelings that are virtuous. So what are you saying you believe? What is it that people know you think? And frankly, we're giving our people answers also. They need answers. There's another passage and that is in First Chronicles. You're familiar with this, chapter 12, verse 32. But I want to just give this. Um, the Bible says in First Chronicles, chapter 12, and verse 32, And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. So we talk about the children of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 that had understanding of the times. Now, I want to tell you something. Don't be wrong about that. 
Understanding of the time is, is, is not understanding what's going on. You can be an avid reader, an editorialist, and gather information together and understand certain trends, um, uh, what's happening. People send to me all the time things about information and the accumulation of information. That's not what this is about. This is about God's people knowing what God is up to. God's people knowing what God is up to. Now, I, I want to I ask you something. With all that we're dealing with, and every variable makes decision making a little more complicated. That's why we need the simplicity, the singleness, the simplicity and godly sincerity of what is in Christ. But every variable. People have no confidence today in government organizations or government. People have no confidence today in the FBI. They have no confidence today in the CIA. They have no confidence in politicians. The United States Congress, the House of Congress, with 435 representatives for, for American congressional districts is at its lowest, lowest measure of confidence ever. Uh, the Senate is battling. They're, they're tottering about senatorial majorities. And there are people just with all kinds of things to say about each presidential candidate. And then every time people hear things going on, things changing all around them, where can they find the truth? So I've entitled this, Your Place in America's Survival. Your Place in America's Survival. If the whole world was starving to death and you were the only person who knew the source of food, you would see your value. If people were smothering and you had oxygen, you would see your value. Well, there is a malaise of misinformation. The devil's favorite weapon is deceit. Satan is to make, he can make blackness and darkness look to be the most attractive thing you've ever seen. And I wonder, have we really sought God for the discerning spirit that we need to know the spirits? The most discerning people I know, now you may know others, But the most discerning people I know in ministry are pastors. Because the Bible says our discernment increases with use. So the idea is that pastors have to use it over and over. And you're, you, you're making decisions. I tell our people, and you may want to make a note of this, the most important thing I do is not preaching. I love to preach. And God gives in the book of Colossians three things that are the assignment of every pastor. And uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful to God that he spells out those things. And, but the most important thing I do as a pastor is to make decisions. I trust God honoring 
Holy Spirit directed, Bible based decisions. When Paul wrote the Christians in Colossae, he said in chapter 1, whom we preach, here are the three assignments, warning every man. I don't think we have enough warning in our preaching. We need to warn. People will call us alarmist and we're afraid of being categorized that way, but we're to warn every man. That's God's assignment to us. Then he says, number two, teaching every man in all wisdom. Teaching involves more than just talking to people. Teaching, there's, a, there's an idea about teaching that we get from the Bible, um, from God. God said, I have constructed you. I've created you so that you can be taught. He even says, this is going out on a limb. Come now, let us reason together. Can you imagine Almighty God says, I, I, wanna, I want you to come. We're going to reason together. We're going to have a conversation. So we're to teach every man in all wisdom. And then the third thing we're to do is to present. That's in Colossians 1.28. Present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. That's what God's given us to do. We have a vital place, a unique place, a singular place in the survival of our nation. You have something to say. If you know the Lord and know God's Word, you have something to say. And it's not just something. It is the most important thing that anybody is saying. Now, I'm going to do two things today that are different. One I'm going to play a 15-minute video by the head of the Claremont Institute, Thomas Klingenstein. And I may not have the name right, but I've watched it several times. It is a, he's the chairman of, the, of Claremont Institute, and he's, this is a conservative think tank that provides understanding of political and cultural issues. Now, what I'm doing is I'm making this available to you. We're not only going to play it, and I want you to watch it. Some of you will have a hard time staying with it, but I want you to watch it, and I want you to get a pen in hand and make notes. And the talking points, I want you to write down. Now, this is the whole purpose behind this. I want you to be able to give people answers that they desperately need. Give people answers. And then we're going to have a guest. We may have him first. Our, our, our man, our man in England is Derek Moreland. Derek's one of our graduates. He's on this call and um, he's our man there. We have a number of chapels. We have an extension of Crown College. Uh, Derek was trained here at Crown College and also trained in England by Mr. James Zinker. And um, Derek now is the person in charge there. And I want him to give us just a brief on what they're dealing with. Because we're having a mission conference in a week. Why in the world are we having a mission conference? Everything is disrupted all over the world. As a matter of fact, my wife, who is totally 100% on board, maybe more than that, on board with everything we're trying to do for God, she says, I'm praying for you. Do you realize what you've taken on? You're trying to do everything normal 
when we're living in an absolutely period of time that is anything but normal. Well, I think the meeting we're having next week is not only to help pastors and Christian workers, but it's to help one step further getting our church back in to the biblical motion that it should have. You know, churches have to be organized to function. They really do. And uh, like in the Christian life, you should have answers. This is something you ought to teach your people. You should have answers to questions before they're ever asked. That's what God means when he says, be ready. You don't know when they're coming to you. You know some things are on people's minds, but be ready to ask. And so I, I'm trying to encourage you. This is our moment. This is our day. When the whole world readjusts, and it is, when it's finding its way, when, when it's trying to state again, this is it. This is what we should be doing. I want us to be the most prominent people in every news way, in every church we have, in every newspaper, on every radio station, and through the media to say, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so instead of us being diminished by COVID-19 and diminished by all the fear-mongering that this is using to throw our people off, I want us to be prominently speaking the truth in love. It is your place in America's survival. What will our country look like? What will our world look like when the devil is initiated this? And it is the spirit of Antichrist. Does that shock any of you? Does it shock any of you to think that there is coming a day when the church is gone that the Antichrist will make himself known? You may be a pre-tribulation, pre-millennialist like I am, or you may be a mid-trib or post-trib. I don't know what you are, but I'm saying to you, we are getting the introduction of the spirit of Antichrist. And it's, it's, it's making a, an impact on the thinking of people. I don't know why I studied this years ago. I really don't. I had an American history class in college that was one of the greatest classes I ever had because it made me think. And we had to read the letters of Washington and then research the historical periods in Washington's tenure to, to try to surmise this is why he wrote that letter. And in all that study and other things, there was always controversy between the founding fathers, some things that had to be hammered out. But one statement that stuck out with me and then was renewed back to me recently is by John Adams. John Adams lived a long time after the Revolution. He and Jefferson died on the same day. Uh, I think, what, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration. But anyway, um, Adams said, when I'm asked about the Revolution, now please hear this. When I'm asked about the revolution, 
Adam said, people expect me to tell them where the battles were fought and the bullets flew and the blood was shed. And Adam said, no, no. Before the first bullet was fired for 15 years, there was a revolution of the mind. People talked about it, talked through it, came to conclusions for 15 years before the first bullet was fired. What I'm saying to you is we are in a revolution now. People no longer think the way they ought to think about God, about church, about pastors, about salvation. And the devil has successfully constructed a parallel Christian work that's in Christendom, that's not biblical Christianity, alongside biblical Christianity. And so many people have accepted the devil's parallel Christendom for biblical Christianity. And our people are confused. The world's confused. The country's confused. And so I want us to know the truth. You're the man. You are the man. You have the message. God is with you. Let's get Derek Moreland on talk to talk about what's going on in England. I got to watch my time because I got to leave enough time for you to see this other. But Derek, you look very stately sitting there. God bless you. You may have some people fooled. Good. <laughs> How's your family? We're all well, thank you. Good. Tell me about the newest baby. Paxson is just uh, over a year. Paxson Nehemiah doing well, walking, talking now. Walking and talking? That's great. How many children you and Juliana have? How many children? Six. Good. Say that with great joy, buddy. You know? Six. That's wonderful. And do you know you're pastoring a wonderful church? Tell us where. Here in Oxford, England. And Oxford is called by most uh, the educational center, or at least the brain thrust for the world. And uh, I want you to tell us how England is responding to all the things that are happening right now and how it's affecting churches. I think uh, overall, people are very fearful. Um, I think it's probably true in most places around the world, but in particular here in, in England. Um, I think for the first time in a very long time, people understand that the world is not a better place. We, we're out in the open air every Saturday and uh, we try to speak about how the world is progressively getting worse and usually there's an argument against that. The world's a better place with all of our scientific advancements and education. But uh, over the last few months now, people are beginning to realize that after all of our scientific advancements, uh, the world is not getting any better. Um, with, with racism, uh, hearing about from across the pond over there with the, with the new diseases and the inability of man to control it, um, there, there's an understanding that the world is not getting better. How does America, how, how does America and the response in America and the news in America affect y'all? People are always interested. As soon as they hear I've got an American accent, they want to, they want to speak to me about what's happening in America. Um, of you see course, him? The, the media over here uh, paints it probably um, as dark as they possibly can. So every, anything and everything we hear on this side of the pond is constantly negative. Everyone thinks that everyone's shooting each other in America and, and uh, it's total chaos in every town, village, and city. Uh, that's the picture that's being painted on this side. 
How, how is it? How is it that I find myself this way, that we want to preach against the sin and debauchery in America, but we still love our country? Uh, speaking of England, we, you have so much to be thankful for. There's so much Christian heritage and history, and you're standing on the shoulders of that. So how, how do we keep the message that sin needs to be dealt with and the only remedy for sin is the blood of Christ, yet we love our country and we want to see our country move forward? I'm, I'm, I've got an answer to the question, but I'm asking you. Yes, sir. I, I think there are two things that come to mind. One is a constant um, understanding in the back of our mind that the the history of the Christian church has always um, been the underdog, as it were. Um, historically, we have uh, we have been the the persecuted or the downtrodden, um, as it were. We've had a bit of a, a bubble, you could say, in the Western world for the last couple of hundred years, which is very rare over the span of church history. But uh, knowing that uh, any sort of breakdown of, of that which is good, it seems to be the norm, historically speaking, especially amongst Christians. Um, but then also remaining hopeful, uh, not not being fatalistic that this is just what's going to have to happen. It can't get any better. But no, being hopeful and reminding ourselves of the movements of God in, in previous days and that it still can, and the work of God still will go forward. Uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. I think, I think that's the key, that we're keeping the gospel door moving forward. We're going through it and we hold that message and hold that hope. And uh, I, I think that uh, I find myself wanting to deal with the evils that are going on, the Marxist Black Lives Matter movement and those kinds of things, but I have to make sure I don't discount the reason we're here is to proclaim the message of hope in Jesus Christ. There is a real heaven and a real hell, and there's salvation in Christ and Christ alone. There's, there's no doubt. And I, and I think... I think really the message of, of the Christian and the church is really basically the same anywhere in the world it's going out. It's the message of Christ and His power to save and transform lives. I really thank God for what you're doing. I want you to watch this next little video with us and uh, we'll come, we've got just a little time to come back at the end and I want to get some comments, okay? I see several people. I, I want you to be ready for some comments. So... I want you to listen to the conservative chairman of the Claremont Institute and what he has to say. It's a think tank. Uh, his, his major thing is the American mind. That's what he's given his life to. Now, I think this man is a secular Jew, meaning he talks about providence once in this little uh, lecture, and he's really meaning God, but it's quite a thing for him to come to say, I believe, I'm almost ready to say, this is of the Lord. I think it'll be a blessing to you, but you need to take notes because these are some of the talking points you may need with your people. We're going to watch it with you, and then we're going to talk about it at the end. Thank you for listening, for being patient. My name is Tom Klingenstein. I'm the chair of the board of the Claremont Institute, which is a conservative think tank, managing partner of a New York investment firm and playwright.
I wish to make three points. First, Trump is the perfect man for these times. Not all times, perhaps not most times, but these times. Second, Republicans are not doing a good job explaining the stakes in this election. They must explain, and this is my third point, that the Democratic Party, which has been taken over by its radical wing, is leading a revolution. This makes the coming election the most important one since the election of 1860. Let's begin there. Unlike most elections, this one is much more than a contest over particular policies like health care or taxes. Rather, like the election of 1860, this election is a contest between two competing regimes or ways of life. Two ways of life that cannot exist peacefully together. One way of life, I'll call it the traditional American way of life, is based on individual rights, the rule of law, and a shared understanding of the common good. This way of life values hard work, self-reliance, volunteerism, patriotism, and so on. In this way of life, there are no hyphenated Americans. We are all just Americans. Colorblindness is our aspiration. The other way of life I call multiculturalism. Others call it identity politics or cultural Marxism or intersectionality. The multicultural movement, which has taken over the Democratic Party, is a revolutionary movement. I do not mean a metaphorical revolution. It's not like a revolution. It is a revolution. An attempt to overthrow the American founding, as President Trump said in his excellent Mount Rushmore speech. Republicans should say the same thing. Republicans everywhere, at every level, and at every opportunity. Multiculturalism conceives of society not as a community of individuals with equal rights, but as a collection of cultural identity groups defined by race, ethnicity, gender, and so forth. According to the multiculturalists, all these identity groups are oppressed by white males. Their goal is to have each identity group proportionately represented in all institutions of American society. As should be immediately clear, achieving this proportional representation requires a never-ending redistribution of wealth and power from some groups, and not just from whites, to other groups. Such a massive redistribution can only be achieved by a tyrannical government. And like in all tyrannies, one where dissenters are silenced. In order to achieve this proportional representation, the Democrats require not just endless affirmative action, but genuine socialism, open borders, unrestricted trade, seizing guns, sanctuary cities, and much more. The Black Lives Matter slash Democrats understand, which Republicans seem not to, that if they are to achieve their policy agenda, they must get Americans to change their values, their principles, and the way they understand themselves. 
They must get us to believe that national borders and colorblindness are racist, that we are not one culture but many, that the most important thing in our history, the thing around which all else pivots, is slavery. More broadly, the multiculturalists must get us to believe that we are unworthy, not just that we have sinned, which of course we have, but that we are irredeemably sinful. In the language of today, systemically racist and sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, and all the other ists and phobias. Simply put, multiculturalism must get us to believe that we are bad. This suggests one way to frame the coming election as a contest between a man, Trump, who believes America is good, and a man, Biden, who is controlled by a movement that believes America is bad. I do not think it is any more complicated than that. For the multiculturalist to change traditional values and principles, they must destroy or radically restructure the institutions that teach those values and principles. The most important of these institutions is family, but also very important is religion, education, which they have mostly destroyed already, and community life, replacing the latter with government bureaucrats. It is here, in these value-teaching institutions, that we see the underpinnings of the revolution. This is where the real action is. Republicans seem to be missing in action. Republicans need to explain that BLM and their democratic enablers wish to destroy the traditional mother-father family. To substantiate this claim, Republicans have only to point to the BLM mission statement. The mission statement, written by avowed Marxists, also lets us know that BLM holds transgenderism to be the burning issue of our time. Republicans must also explain that religion, because it teaches American values, is also on the chopping block. Republicans also must make Americans see that the taking down of statues is not about removing a few Confederate generals. It's about destroying America's past, as is the New York Times 1619 project. The rioters and their BLM Democrat enablers are tearing down the statues even of people like Frederick Douglass, who fought against slavery. This is not an accident. It is not collateral damage. Frederick Douglass was a great American. He believed that America in her soul was not racist. He believed in hard work and self-reliance. And because of his embrace of American values, the BLM Democrats have to get rid of him. They must also get rid of Abraham Lincoln, for it is he who best explains what we should aspire to. And it is he who is our best defender of the American founding. In one sense, this election is a referendum on the founding. Whether America, 
was founded in 1619, as the BLM Democrats contend, or in 1776, as Lincoln, until recently, all Americans believed. Republicans must make more of political correctness and cancel culture, which, as we have seen so vividly of late, brutally punishes apostates. Who does Twitter think it is censoring an American president? Republicans simply cannot stand for that. And Republicans must explain, as I earlier explained, that the multiculturalists are trying to get us to believe that we are systemically racist so that we will surrender to their policy agenda. This, too, must not be allowed to stand. The American people need to hear what they know in their hearts. They are not racists. Republicans should stand up and say, no, America is not racist, period. If Americans are systemically anything, it is a systemic commitment to freedom and equal rights for all. Perhaps most importantly, Republicans must say over and over that America is incredible, to use President Trump's adjective of choice. They must remind the American people that, as a friend of mine is fond of saying, America has brought more freedom and more prosperity to more people than any country in the history of mankind. Most Americans know this. But this, too, they need to hear from their leaders. In order to make the case that the Democrats are leading a revolution, Republicans must delegitimize Black Lives Matter, the organization, of course, not the sentiment. To BLM and their Democratic enablers, Republicans must say, absolutely, Black Lives Matter. They just don't matter to you. You don't care about Mr. Floyd, the black businesses you have destroyed, the blacks who are getting killed because you have forced the police to back off. You are here for destruction, not black lives, not any lives. After delegitimizing Black Lives Matter, the next step for Republicans is to tie BLM's revolutionary agenda around the necks of Democrats. The BLM wing of the Democratic Party has captured the entire party. Run-of-the-mill Democrats may not agree with all of the BLM agenda, but they go along, so they might as well agree. Joe Biden is one of the go-along Democrats. So do not expect all Democrats to sing the BLM tune. Even so, most will kneel before them. Listen to Biden. On one occasion, Biden said, let's be clear, transgender equality is the civil rights issue of our time. A year ago, Biden may not have even known what transgenderism is. He does not seem to know it, but he has been radicalized. Biden now regularly talks about systemic 
racism. On one occasion, Biden said that without evidence, there is absolutely systemic racism in law enforcement. But it's not just law enforcement, he continued. It's across the board. It's in housing. It's in education. It's in everything we do. He is wrong on every count. But if indeed he believes that racism is in everything we do, that it is systemic, then he believes, whether he admits it or not, that the system must be overturned. Biden does not realize it, but he is calling for the overthrow of the American way of life. I presume that is not his intent. But when the words he is reading off his BLM teleprompter get translated into policy, that will be the consequence, the destruction of the American way of life. Biden demurs. There is nothing to fear from Biden, says Biden. Do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? No, he does not. But what he does look like is a sap. Republicans must make it clear that these are the Biden riots. This brings me to my last point, Trump. I know President Trump has many faults. I myself sometimes cringe listening to him. Sometimes he is his own worst enemy. He is a braggart, often misinformed, petty, sometimes even vengeful, and more. And yet, we are very lucky to have him. I am almost prepared to say that having him is providential. How else to explain that we find ourselves with this most unusual, most unpresidential man who has just the attributes most needed for this moment? At any other time, he might well have been a bad president. But in these times, these revolutionary times, he is the best president we could have had. He has the indispensable attribute of a leader, courage. As a leader must, he goes where others are afraid to go. And he has common sense, which means he generally wants to go to the right place. Above all else, and above anyone else, Trump is committed to America. He is unreservedly, unquestionably pro-America. He feels no guilt for America's past. He makes no apologies. He concedes nothing. These may not always be the attributes one wants in a president, but in this day of woke guilt, they are the most essential things. And Trump has unlimited confidence in America. In this time of national doubt, this too is just what the doctor ordered. He thinks our culture is incredible, and that's the way he wants to keep it. Trump not only thinks America is incredible, he knows we are in a fight for our lives. 
And despite what one hears ad nauseum from the Democrats, Trump is perhaps among the least race, racist presidents we have ever had. Trump is not defending the white way of life. He is defending the American way of life, a colorblind way of life, which is open to anyone willing to embrace it. If we want to save our country, then we should support him unequivocally. I am. I think this election is that important, and I think Trump is that good. I hope you agree. Remember, Trump versus Biden is the choice between a man who believes America is good and a man who is controlled by a movement which believes America is bad. Thank you very much. The reason I wanted you to watch this is because the enemies have been made to be the family. That's why there's such an attack on the family. The enemy is religion. That's why there's such an attack on faith. And the enemy is the educational system we had. It has to be, it has to be changed. That's why the 1619 educational system is being promoted all across the country now to say that America was founded on the backs of racism, slavery. And people have been conditioned by fear and so many other things to wage war against the family. The whole BLM movement is against the family. What this means is, and I, I say this guardedly, but I really believe it, this enemy has to get rid of you because you are promoting the truth. You're insisting that God started the family, established the family. That's why we need to know the foundation and function of the family and speak clearly, plainly, and compassionately about it. That's why we need to spell out our faith. And I don't mean by that make some academic something of it. But what do people know about their faith? How can they propagate it? What can they say? If someone asks you, tell me about being a Christian. And that's the enemy. Because, see, another thing, you can't have freedom in a country. You can't have freedom in a country without what Os Guinness calls a golden triangle. You have to have freedom and, uh, and you have to have virtue. To be self-governing, you have to have virtue. Well, if, if you have virtue, you have to have faith because you can't have virtue without the faith. So freedom, virtue, and faith. And though, so there has to be an attack upon religion or faith. And then our educational system um, we, for years, we have propagated a certain type of philosophy in our educational institutions. Marxism is the order of the day. And uh, now what do you think? What do you think? Everybody tells kids today, vote for us and your college education will be free. It's never free. If it's free, somebody has to pay for it. Who pays for it? And so 
We're being rocked to sleep with these things. This is, this is such a battleground. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. Um, I'm going to vote for President Bush I'm, or President Trump. I'm going to do everything I can to get everybody to vote for President Trump and reelect him. But he's not the answer. His own brother said to me on the phone before he died, and I had his funeral in the East Room of the White House, we must have a revival in America. Now think about that. Robert was an, an historian, a thinker. We must have revival. Where are we going to have it if it doesn't begin in the lives of God's people who believe the Bible? What is your place in America's survival. That's all I'm saying to you. All these attacks on the family, attacks on religion, attacks on education, they, they don't have to attack education. They already control it. When we created a Department of Education and funded schools, public schools across America in, in secondary schools, and, and when we made colleges, that's why Crown College doesn't have anything they ever receive from the federal government or from any funding group. And there's only a handful of schools in America that are that way. Because once they pay you, they control you. You understand that? And while, while the battle is being fought, the revolution is taking place. I wish we had more time. I'm, fr I'm, I'm sorry every time we have some sort of media, we have some sort of glitch, but the devil's the prince and power of the air. Now, there's lots of questions. One I want to answer. It says, how can we get our churches back on target? Well, let me give you an event. Have an event that brings your church together, that purposefully has to insist that things are done. The nursery's conducted. The choir's assembled. The preaching is done. The teaching is done. The grounds are taken care of. That's what, what we're having next week in this Baptist Friends meeting. It calls everyone back to action. Now, not everyone will come to action. I'm going to tell you, we're going to wake up someday and find out the war has already been fought and we didn't even engage in it. So you're, you're the people. You, you're the people. It's, it's your battle. You know we can tell families what God's designed. And you know we can help people understand that faith brings a consciousness of God and you have to have that ought in you, that consciousness of God that I'll do the right thing or you can't have a self-governing nation. We have a self-governing nation. And that's the way it was designed as a representative form of government in a republic. And as America goes, so goes the world. Some world leaders don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. I'm putting this passionate plea out to you. Uh, this man can help awaken us. But I said, I said in a video, I, I guess you've watched it, about Trump's Bible, that the window is open, but we have to go through the open window. Thank you for listening today. Please pray for me. This reminds me of times when I've tried to deal with issues that were attacking our people, our families, and I became so weary in dealing with it that my mind was so taxed, and I must give this to God. 
But we must see, you and I need to see our place in the survival of our nation. And what you're preaching in your church and teaching in your church could not be any more important than it is. It is of the essential nature to all of this. And may God give us grace to follow through. May God give us. Derek, are you still with us? And uh, I want you to lead us in prayer as we close. Do that now, would you please? Can you hear me? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being together today. We're grateful for life in such a time as this. Thankful for the opportunities that are in front of us. The opportunities to uphold the gospel light. We pray that our lives might be as pure and clean as humanly possible. That we might be those vessels that are meet for the master's use. We pray, Lord, that we might be those who find ourselves fighting at the very front of the line. For thy honor, for thy glory, give us great wisdom in the day when it seems so very few have it. We pray, Lord, for uh, heavenly discernment as well, protection, but also for a zeal and an excitement for what could happen. Give us great faith and expectancy in the days that are to come. We pray for thy continued hand upon our churches. Bless them, Lord. Bless the preaching of thy word. May we see a great increase of, of salvation, of souls being saved in this dark hour in which we find ourselves. And may we be those who, who bring about great hope for those who are hopeless. Bless Pastor Saxton, give him um, strength and understanding as he leads so many during this time. And we do pray for this election coming up. Have thine own way, Lord, we pray. And we pray again uh, that there be an open door, continued open door for the preaching of the gospel in the United States of America and around the world as well. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Pray for our meeting next week. If possible, do your best to be in the meetings. God bless you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue together around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.